0: Good morning, guys, from sunny Costa Rica. Uh, We started to get some rain here in the afternoons, um, as typically happens this time of year. It feels like it came a little earlier this time of year, but uh, I'm uh, very thankful for it. I no no longer need to water my garden. So uh, so that's... uh, the good news. Uh, And also it's a bit of a respite from the the Heath in the afternoons here. So anyway, this is episode 79 here, guys, for Costa Rica Real Estate and Investments coming to you um, recorded, I would say live, recorded from Costa Rica. So today we're going to be talking with Joshua Whitman. Josh has been living in Costa Rica for over six years, first as a teacher and now helping people as a realtor for REMAX. Uh, he focuses on educating people, not just selling them real estate, and especially has a focus on hotels here in the Central Valley. So, we're going to be talking to him about raising a family and living here in Costa Rica, and also how real estate can also open doors to enjoying kind of family life with a pura vida ethos. We'll be asking him some questions around buying hotels and hotel valuations as well. As I know, there's quite a few people out there that keep contacting me. Um, Not that I have any issue with it, guys. I'd love to talk about hotels because I've bought and sold and run quite a few of them. But... Remember, guys, if you have any questions for me or would like any help finding an investment property here in Costa Rica, just remember, we are not realtors. We are investment consultants. Happy to uh, have a discussion with you and see how we can help. You can contact us, info at investingcostarica.com. That's info at investingcostarica.com. But let's get straight into it. Good morning, Joshua. How are you doing? Doing well, thanks. Thanks for uh, finally uh, making the time for us in your very busy schedule to join us on the podcast, sir.
1: That's my pleasure. Thanks for the invitation.
0: No, definitely, definitely. Well, let's jump straight into it, Joshua. Um, as I know, we're we're two very busy bees, and I'm sure that the uh, the guests don't want to hear us small talking. So. You've been in Costa Rica and also real estate for a while now, uh, in Costa Rica, and especially, well, I mean, the Central Valley and also in Guanacaste. But I mean, what has really, you know, surprised you over the past few months? And, you know, are you seeing any changing buying patterns from clients?
1: Yeah. So first, uh, from a commercial real estate perspective, I'm seeing a trend pivoting um, in the commercial office uh, sector. Nobody wants to go back to the office. So I'm excited to see what uh, these buildings will do with this vacant space. Um, a specialist in hospitality, I am interested to see what kind of role hospitality will play in these new mixed commercial uses yep. for these office buildings like you see in Lindora um, near Escazoo. It's, it's so many beautiful glass buildings that are sitting empty. What are we going to do with this office space? Um, and then also to quote Hannah Fletcher, officially uh, our country is moving into a uh, from a buyer's market to a seller's market in several regions around the country. Sorry, Hannah Fletcher is REMAX regional director for Costa Rica. Yeah. So uh, talk dog there. And uh, sellers with desirable properties are receiving multiple offers in locations like Escazú, Tamarindo, Flamingo area, Atenas, Uvita, and others. And this is due to a large increase in foreigners taking interest in moving or investing in Costa Rica.
0: Okay. So you, so you are seeing, you know, because I, I knew it was definitely at the beach areas, um, and I knew that it was kind of in Atenas as well, but you're also seeing it turning into a seller's market in Escazú specifically or the areas of San Tan Escazoo, kind of West San Jose?
1: So location is absolutely key. It's important to also pay attention to desirable properties. We can't draw a circle around Escazú and say, it's a buyer's market or yes. it's a seller's market now. But for those, um, those pieces that are low inventory, those high desirable properties, uh, four or five bedrooms, Within the price range, if we're talking about Escazoo, around $350,000, um, our market analysis is showing that, uh, yes, we are receiving multiple offers. Those properties are not staying on the market as long, um, and it's a seed from where where we're seeing, especially, like you said, in the beach towns, um, as well as the yeah. so it's it's exciting to see this change um not only in commercial real estate but residential and um making that as present to the buyer's mind as possible that uh there there are opportunities to be had uh for the short term and long term
0: you seeing any signs of it slowing down i was speaking to a realtor in the uh, montezuma Cabuya area the other day that she says that like they're seeing a bit of a slowdown there i spoke to Gina over at Blue Water Properties on the last podcast, and she was mentioning it's not slowing down. It's more of a lack of inventory now. So stuff is moving more towards, you know, especially at the beach areas, more land sales um, where people are looking to build homes.
1: Yeah, I'm seeing that as well. There is a larger interest in, well, if I can't find it, I'll build it myself. Um, That's why I say that there are long-term opportunities here. Um, There's a lot of new construction taking down old neighborhoods um, and then a lot of public development as well. We're seeing new roads, roads being expanded, uh, where we used to have bottlenecks that created high traffic. We're seeing those being widened, sidewalks being put in um, here in the Central Valley. And so that all tells me that things are not slowing down, Um, like you said. We, we just don't see the inventory that is desirable for the buyer right now. And so where is that going to be sourced?
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean we're seeing, we're seeing a lot of that as well. I mean, just especially on a buying land and construction point of view, just the clients we're working with, um, you know, who hire us basically to find that piece of land that they're looking for. And then we actually manage the project afterwards for them. Um, you know, we're not builders, we kind of just put it all together for them with the right architect and then, you know, get them there, uh, make sure that they're building for an exit as well, because sometimes people build a house for themselves and not also to exit it as well. So, you know, we're always the pain in the butts, just remember reminding them that like, look, at some point you're going to want to sell this. So think, think about when building it, when you, you know, when you sell it. So.
1: I think that's so important to have an exit strategy when you are building something, because, yeah. um, I, I see a lot of, Gorgeous diplomat houses that were built 15, 20 years ago that are smack in front of American International School or uh, Pan America. And nobody wants to buy a $2 million house and have a butler and a full time wait staff yep. uh, maintaining this house. Um, it, the market is definitely going to change. Um, is as we progress in in this development of Costa Rica. And and so I think it's really important for anybody that is interested in being a part of that development to work with somebody who can focus their dream. Um, That's that's something that I'm constantly talking about with my clients, uh, especially those interested in hotels. uh, Where is your concept? You know, so many, so many wants to focus on this is my dream, this is where it's going to take me, but um, how do we bring them from fantasy to reality? So I think it's really important uh, for any of your listeners, that they're considering to build, um, to work with a professional that, um, that can help them align with imagining what's going to happen in the future 10, 20 mm-hmm. years down the road for this investment. Well, I
0: think you bring up something really good, which is I wanna touch on later, which is just kind of that dream of owning a hotel here and just making sure, you know I mean? There's dream and then there's the reality of it. And those two things can be very completely different. So there's a lot of moving parts in a hotel, but we'll jump into that later. I wanna kind of just focus at the moment just on like, again, I know you're here with your wife, also your family. Uh, If you don't mind me asking, how old are your children?
1: I have four kids. Uh, My oldest is, uh, is 11. He'll be twelve in June. We have a nine. He'll be ten next week. We have a four-year-old and two-year-old. Well, he'll be turning two next week as well. So we have a full house.
0: Wow! Wow! Well, I mean, what advice would you give? Because a lot of families are looking to, you know, kind of relocate here to Costa Rica, uh, wherever it may be, kind of all over the country. But what advice would you give to anyone?
1: First, it's really important to have a budget. Um, we have a free budget or lifestyle calculator on our website. Um, it, if you're using our website or if you're talking to other locals that have lived here a while, it's really important to have a solid understanding of what the cost of living is going to be. And if you're, if you're interested in looking at the entire country, which I would recommend first, if you're thinking about making Costa Rica home, especially for longer than six, to, six months to two years, uh it's, it's important to understand that, especially in the beach towns, there are going to be higher prices, especially during high season. Um, and these are some things that I don't think families necessarily take into account. They're looking primarily for where is the school that they want to be in? Will they have friends that have similar cultural background, are they expat communities, and is it going to be safe? Yep. But what I think they they missed especially is uh, I want to be close to the beach. I want to be 15 minutes from the ocean. Um, and what my wife Miranda and I have found is we are so happy here in the Central Valley where the closest beach is 45 minutes away in Punta Arenas. Jaco is an hour away. Um, but when we lived, we lived in Playa del Coco for four years. And the beach was a weekend trip we were a 10 minute walk from the beach, from our house. Um, and so in reality, you can have the theme park in your own backyard, but how often are you going to use it? Yeah. Um, and so that's, that's important to take into effect when considering your budget, because the beach towns are just notoriously going to be a higher expense. Uh, to get, put that into perspective, we live in a three bedroom home in a double gated community, inside this set the second gate we have 200 townhomes um and we pay 750 a month in rent wow uh, we also moved it wasn't furnished we moved in here and it cost about six thousand dollars to furnish the entire house yep. so that's 750 a month and six thousand dollars for furnishing keep that in mind with this is not a low-income gated community this is very comfortable we have 30 kids live on our block. We have two pools and three playground parks. Every day after three or four o'clock, everybody opens up their front doors and the kids go out and play. Um, 95% of our community is Tico. And so that's also really important for our community or for our family, because we want our kids to be speaking Spanish and to become Tico. We want, we want our family to experience that Pura Vida lifestyle which I think is very much focused on patience, um, on, on what is in this moment right now and how can I relate to my neighbors, to my family in this moment instead of what's happening in this next moment and how do I bring that from the back of my mind into making this next moment really quality, which I think is a very North American type of mindset. Yeah. Ticos, I have found, are event-oriented where gringos are time-oriented. This in itself um, is the biggest hurdle I think gringos like me must overcome. I'm constantly ticking the seconds of an event, preparing myself to transition into that next said event. I am time oriented. My Tico neighbors are very much the opposite. The events in the moment, not the allotted sum of seconds. I tell all my clients, you cannot be in a hurry in Costa Rica.
0: Summed it up pretty well there, Josh. I mean, even with my Tico friends, as you know, <clears throat> my whole day is planned out, and some of theirs is. But like, beyond that, it's just kind of go with the flow. And I think to survive in Costa Rica is, if you try and swim against that current, you will not survive. Like it's you just can't do it here. There is just a way. Like, I just ordered a new car, and they told me it'd be ready the first of April. Then it moved to the first of <laughs> May. Now it's the end of May. And April I'm like, falls. Yeah, I'm like Alonso. Which one is it, dude? And he's just
1: like, to be honest with you, Richard, I don't know when you're going to get your car. And and that's okay, because the event is getting your car, and we're going to do it right in Pura Vida, right? Yeah. But you can't be in a hurry in Costa Rica. And I think you said it great. You can't swim against that current of Pura Vida. I think that if you can learn, especially if you move here with the objective, and I think many people are coming here because... That idea of pura vida, of not being attached to time, of escaping the matrix, as we hear. Uh, I I think that that if you can bring that objective, that is your primary objective, to escape that sense of uh, time-mandated schedule and move into the flow of one event to another and not feeling that rush of the day-to-day, second-to-second, you'll find that you can thrive very well in Costa Rica, yeah. that, that living in that moment, you find that flow. You, and there, there you can truly figure out you know, where you're going to connect with your heart and thrive in what your heart's desire is and getting out of your head. And so many people that are contacting me on a daily basis, I hear that. They want to escape the noise of North America. They want to get away from that hustle and the bustle. Uh, how can you do that? that's the Pura Vida lifestyle. Detaching yourself from that time, being okay with this half an hour meeting turned into an hour and a half. Um, It's like that friend who calls you up and you know from the beginning of that call, he's asking me for five minutes, but this is gonna be a 45 minute call. (laughs) But you're connecting with that person from the heart. So that's why you answer that phone call. And I think it's the same thing with Costa Rica.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was interesting. I was discussing it. Somebody had a theory about this and uh, because I can't take it as my own, but they were like, look, when people around the equator wake up in the morning, they can just go to the mango tree or the banana tree and pick a fruit. They know that the weather's going to be beautiful all year round. They don't need to worry about tomorrow. Whereas if you live in the Northern or Southern hemispheres where you need to basically sow, grow and then harvest in a small period of time you are constantly planning in the future because tomorrow you might wake up and you might not have food so you have to constantly plan so you know i thought it was interesting the way he was because it really made me think about it and i was like you know what he may have a point here
1: that makes a lot of sense
0: you know and also just when sun goes down and when people eat. I mean, I saw a map the other day of like times of the, you know, like in England, you know, we typically eat dinner at like 5.30, six o'clock in the evening. Here in Costa Rica, sometimes it's not till a bit later and usually around the equator, you know, and Southern Mediterranean, it's very late into the day.
1: Yeah, uh, so. I, I, I think that's an interesting point you bring up with time because Costa Ricans rise and rise and go to bed with the sun. Yep. You know, maybe maybe they wake up an hour earlier and they go to bed an hour or two later. Um, but it, it very much aligns with my fatherhood uh, time time schedule. Uh, waking up at five a.m. Most schools start at six thirty or seven, which sounds preposterously early. Um, and most most stores close at seven or eight. Yeah. And so for me, that that makes it not feel like uh, I am working against the day. I also think that it's important to note that time is of the essence. It's not that we, um, as Ticos, I'll, I'll proclaim myself as Tico Regalado or a, a gifted or, or adopted Tico. Um, but, but time is of the essence here. It's, it's not that we want to waste time or kill time, um, forget about time, but um, it, it's important to be in that moment and, and keep that moment alive as long as possible. I think that that's truly the essence of Pura Vida, is not forgetting about time, but enjoying the moment and being grateful for that moment.
0: Yeah. You'd mentioned about getting up there at school. So I'm going to ask you a little bit, just because a lot of people listening to the podcast, of course, are looking to potentially move down here. And I think one of the big questions is always going to be schooling. Can you get a good education in Costa Rica? And how do you find it? Because I know that you've been in education here in Costa Rica before. So I think this is a very good question for you.
1: Yeah. So speaking as a a former teacher of 15 years, um, I think that I have a pretty good understanding of what parents want uh, for their kids in education. Um, I ran my own school here for four years. And then in the Central Valley, I worked at Country Day School for two years as a math and computer programming teacher. Um, And I can say that yes, there is quality education here. Uh, We send our kids to CIT, that's C-I-T, vocational school. Uh, Typically, uh, TICO schools graduate after year 11. Seat has a twelfth year that licenses students in a trade of their choosing. Main mm-hmm. courses are taught twice in Spanish and English. Uh, the school is eight years old and has already grown to more than seven hundred students. Uh, the majority of the uh, the majority of the population of Ticos there's only about five or ten percent that are expats. So again, we want to inundate and and fully immerse our family into the Tico culture. And so schools and neighborhood are are important to do that. Um, It's also a huge campus. It used to be a a paper factory. Uh, I like to think of Dunder Mifflin that they purchased. It's 14 hectares. It has organic gardens now. They actually have an organic market and a restaurant um, that are operated on the weekends by students and staff. And then during, during the weekdays, of course the students are attending classes uh, but even my two-year-old, I mean, we, they have a donkey and chickens, and they go explore the gardens. And so there's this very hands-on experience that I think is so important to uh, practice in education. You you must pair academics with experience, real-life experience, or you very quickly lose motivation and interest. And if you don't have a student's interest, you don't have them learning. So uh, that's what we- what showed just a really great fit for us at this school. It's in the heart of Belen um, in the Central Valley. I find schools here following a trend, actually. I I have coined eco-education or connecting uh, the earth, the community, and the ocean. Uh, That's what we called our school in Playa Coco, uh, Ninos del Sol Eco School, that we have since closed but have a dream of reopening one day. Um, But there are other programs as well. Bandera Azul, Zero Waste and other sustainable programs are growing in popularity and implementation in schools all over the country. I know that that's uh, an interest for many parents as well as apart from the academics. What are we looking at for um, preparing for the future and being globally aware, globally conscious? I would still recommend the private standard to the public quality of education. It is still a developing country and the communities without private funds are are struggling for the most part, uh, especially with resources for teachers. Uh, There's a lack of books. There is a lack of other resources to really engage the students. Um, I've seen in many schools, uh, classroom sizes over 40 students to yeah, one that's teacher. a large class. And so, the, you know, public education, in my opinion, isn't there yet in all areas. Uh, there certainly are public schools, especially here in the Central Valley or in uh, well, well-to-do uh, communities in the beach that do have resources and do have the community around that public school that offer those resources. But in large part, I think the majority of, the, the standard, I should say, of private schools uh, fits what many expats are looking for or are expecting schools to offer their kids. Gosh, how much could um, someone be
0: looking at spending a month for a private school? Would you say?
1: We have four kids, like I said, and we spend a thousand dollars a month total. On well, that's tuition. very comfortable. Very, and um, you know, two of those are going half day to yep. the childcare program. Um, so you know, there's there's a scale there. Um, there's also books and uniforms. So the the matricula uh, process at the beginning is kind of a shock. Of uh, yeah. I thought it was going to be a thousand dollars a month starting in January, and it's actually triple that at the beginning because you have uniforms, books, matricula, and and other things. Um, so that's that's something to prepare for is the added costs at the beginning. Um, but Something that I've found in Costa Rica, not just particularly to our one school or schools that we've been involved in, um, is this, to use the word, overwhelming sense of community. It doesn't matter the quality of education per se, the Tico is generally ready to open their door at a moment's notice without even knowing who you are and inviting you in for a coffee and getting to know your roots not what do you do for a living, what's your income, what car do you drive? It is very much the opposite of keeping up with the Joneses of how do we bring the Joneses into our family, into our home and create a community. And I see that in Costa Rica and spades. And that is the number one reason why we have chosen to make Costa Rica home is because of that sense of community that is so popular in in public sense, you see it with in traffic. The cars will stop on either side of the road to allow somebody to cross, even though it's not a crosswalk. Um, it, it, to to being a new person in a neighborhood, and everybody, who are you? Where where are you coming from? Do you have family here? These are the initial questions that Atika will ask, yeah. and it is it's so welcoming to. Uh, a newcomer who's looking to set roots to create a social structure and and be a part of something that um, is different than where they left. And that's definitely, really what definitely. they're looking
0: for. Well, let's change gears a little bit and jump into hotel investments now, just because um, I'm, you know, I promised the listeners that we would jump in and discuss hotel investments. So I'm sure that they've been talking to us or they've been listening to us talk about kind of living here uh, But I mean, what advice would you give to anyone wanting to invest in a hotel in Costa Rica, Joshua?
1: Um, first it's really important to have a concept, the yep. concept of your hotel. You know, um, I'm the only buyer's agent specializing in commercial hospitality, real estate that I know of at the moment. If any of your listeners are also uh, a buyer's agent for hotels, please contact me because I'm constantly updating my network. Um, but talk to me. Most of my leads are young money with Bitcoin or GameStop. Uh, if you recall that skyrocketing a couple of years ago now. I, do. I wonder where um, it's or, at today. <laughs> I'll have to uh. look. Um, but you know, these, these are many of my, my buyer leads are coming to me either with young money or they're retiring boomers with a couple million dollars. Either way, they're usually both have a dream and they're looking for if I may, um, they're looking to put their toes in the water. Um, excuse me. Let's, uh, let's try this. Uh, toes in the water, ass in the sand, not a worry in the world, a cold beer in my hand life is good today. Life is Pramosa. good. Today. As they do, um, I can connect investors with a huge added value consulting, namely, and first of all, our host, Richard Bexton, Thank but
0: you. but also,
1: um, as as uh, hotel operating consultants and i think that that especially if you're interested in hotels is where you should look uh one of whom i will recommend i meet every monday at the santa Ana country club his name is uh, ricardo rodrigo hill uh, he was the general manager of fiesta resort hotels for over 20 years and so basically i have uh i can search over 200 Sorry, two thousand hotels on or off market with the network of listing agents that I have created over the last two years within Costa Rica. But anytime I get a hotel, new or uh, old listing that is interested to a buyer, I'll put it in front of Ricardo, and we'll break it down. Uh, If he doesn't give me the green light, then it goes into the bin or or to be looked at at a later date. Um, And so. I have Ricardo as well as other operators and experienced consultants who I can put my investors with, and and help assess or give a SWOT test to what is their plan, what are they looking to do? Do they want to just retire and have some ten thousand passive income coming in every month? Um, I know that uh, I have I have a buyer who's a developer in Tamarindo who owns two boutique hotels. He doesn't operate them he rents them to an operator and he receives ten dollars or $13,000 a month. There are deals like this and there are ways to get a boutique hotel up to that level so that you can retire with your ass in the sand and a cold beer in your hand. Um, yeah. or, or you can create it yourself. And I know that there are investors out there who want to find their, their dream in Costa Rica and build it from the ground up. And so it's important to be involved in a network that can give you those, those facets of your investment to, to the spec that you want. Um, it's
0: it's a, Go ahead, I think, Joshua, I'm just gonna mention, you mentioned something there, which is I think you really need to find your niche just because there are a lot of hotels here in Costa Rica and they're all competing for noise. So you just need to figure out is how you're going to separate yourself. You know, I always say to people, blue ocean, red ocean, red ocean where people are fighting each other, blue where you're on your own. So how do you put yourself in a blue ocean? Um, you know, because I've seen it as, everyone, as an investor or an agent, no, as an, as, a, as an investor, I mean, looking to invest into yeah. a property, like, you know, because I work with, you know, hoteliers all over Costa Rica, everything from, you know, the much, most luxurious hotels down to, you know, a hundred bucks a night. So, you know, it's, it's interesting when I meet with them. Um, you know, I mean, I was a very prestigious Aaron hotel where I stayed in one of their rooms. and was like, look guys, you've got to get rid of these, um, these, uh, jacuzzis you have and put, Pools in here because your pool is going to cost you about fifteen thousand dollars, but your ADR in these rooms, you know, you could increase by twenty five percent and make that back in a couple of months. And then I come back like two months later. He's like, "Rich, I did exactly what you did, and you were right." You know, and I was just like, "Wow." I was just kind of like saying it as a passing remark, not to go and do it. Um, but maybe I should watch my <laughs> mouth sometimes. Um, but like, there's just all of these intricacies of hotel ownership from the operation to the sales and marketing and the sales and marketing is a complete you know different rabbit hole from property management system to channel managers to using ai for rate maximizations um to then also delivering that service to a client and then also you know returning back to marketing and getting that client back you know again because you'll get a lot of repeat clients or referrals you know and what a hotel wants is they want as much direct business as possible. So they're not paying, you know, 20, 25 percent, you know, commission to Expedia booking, Airbnb, VRBO or just travel agents. So I think that anyone looking to buy a hotel here just needs to really understand what they're getting themselves into. But I think you bring up a great point there, which is there are some very, very good operate like operating companies, management companies of hotels here in Costa Rica.
1: Well, and and they're coming here. Um, uh, to to give a shout out to one operating company, Onda, they just opened their first hotel in Playa Grande. Yep. Um, if you're if you're familiar with their CEO Bill, he uh, he has this great idea of there is a new niche to be taken advantage of between the um the hostel and the hotel, and it is this fast casual niche that isn't being attended isn't truly being tended to. We're seeing it being tended to in Airbnbs, um, in higher-end boutique hotels, per se. But we're looking at a, uh, a, a guest who wants to spend anywhere between three, five nights to two or three weeks in the same place um, they don't want it to be packed full of people, maybe tops 20 rooms, 25 rooms. So we're still in that boutique hotel size. Um, and they're looking to pay more than the hostel rate. They're looking $50 to probably $150. And we now have a residency program in Costa Rica for this type of client. It's the digital nomad, where you have common spaces where people can talk about what crypto they're involved in, or what is their small business that they're running online, or exchanging ideas. And the uh, isolation of their room isn't as important as how close is it to the city life, or how close is it to the beach, um, how close is it to the airport, and what other kinds of clients, similar to my mindset, are staying there. And so I think it, it is incredibly important if, in, if investing in a hotel to fully understand the concept and what your client is truly looking for. And to come back to Onda, I think Bill has done an excellent job of doing his market research before he bought his hotel. And he found exactly where his clientele are going to. He has a great heat-seeking map of where are the digital nomads going to. And he and I are mapping out where his next locations are going to be. I also think it's important if you're interested in managing a hotel instead of owning it um, to, to do that same thing. Figure out where your clients are going to be. And instead of considering a purchase, perhaps considering a lease. Uh, There's so many benef- benefits to leasing um, where you can focus on your service and your niche as your hotel owner or the operator or your marketing team. Um, and like you were saying, blue wave, red wave, are you going to do all of this on your own or are you going to work against other people? And if you're going to be working against other people, the best thing you can do is delegate and network that team. So I'm seeing that with, with franchising hotels. I'm seeing that with big hotels that are looking to scale, building more rooms and increasing their market share to, um, for example, I have a hotel in the heart of Santa Ana. Um, it's an economy hotel and one of these, uh, one of the ways he's planning to scale his hotel in these next six months is by building pods. So a pod is similar to a bunk bed, but more isolated. You have walls around your bunk bed and you have a curtain that can open or close. Typically more soundproof. Yes. It comes from Japan, right? It's that. Um, lower tier economy style where you don't need your own room and almost like an apartment style room where you have a kitchen you're okay sharing a shared bathroom and you're okay spending $50 a night for your pod but now you just turned one room with eight pods into a $400 a night if it's at full capacity instead of a $50 a night and you have a half kitchen and its own bathroom in there you're really increasing your utility.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think you mentioned something there, which is what you need to do. You need to create community because that's what people are going to be coming to your property for. You know, so like minded people that want to find connections, they want to create. They want an authentic experience in creating community. So let's just jump into something a little bit more technical here, um, just because, again, I think we're running a little shorter time here. but when, like, what valuation model do you think best reflects a hotel? You know, because, you know, typically is, you know, something's worth what someone's willing to pay for it. But I have a lot of people asking me, hey, Rich, like, how do I value my hotel? And I'm like, well, there's a variety of different ways of doing it, you know, and ultimately, is it's going to come down to what someone's willing to pay for it. But I mean, what would be the, um, you know, the uh, measuring sticks that you would you would potentially
1: use? Great question. Uh, This is something that I scratched my head on for two years, and finally, with my consultant Ricardo Rodriguez, we've come up with our top five questions for assessing any hotel that is in operation. Now, of course, many of these can't be applicable, uh, like like they were not applicable to many distressed properties during the pandemic. But the majority of the hotels that are still operating that survived the pandemic um, are selling as an operating. business. So uh, the first thing that we look at, and again, this, this needs to be tailored to the concept of the the owner. What do they, what are they really looking to get at? But the first thing we need to look at is the number of rooms and the types of rooms. Do they have suites? Do they have villas? Uh, What kind of room are they really looking for? If the owner wants An economy style, great. Then that's the kind of room that we're looking for. And that's probably the number of rooms we're looking for over 50% or over 50 rooms if we're looking at an economy. If we're looking for boutique, okay, great. Then we're looking at around 25 rooms. And then the other numbers can come in. The next piece is what is their average, sorry, what is their annual average occupancy? This is an incredibly important number, especially in Costa Rica, because we have high and low seasons. In some parts of this country, we have the six or seven, even in areas eight month low season. Yeah. So you're gonna be making the vast majority of your revenue during, a, during one or maybe two quarters of your year. And then you're surviving. You're trying to do special events or, or overhaul your marketing for those other six months that you are, are near rock bottom depending on what your scale is for rock bottom of occupancy. So that's our second measure of how do we uh, assess, is this a good operating hotel? Do they have high occupancy? And I would recommend looking at high occupancy as 80% for the annual average, not 80% per month for January through March. We're looking at for the whole year. And that's really important because if you don't have that occupancy, then your ADR, your total revenue, these are pieces that just don't fit with that concept. Um, And then, then we're looking at the average daily rate. Again, that's for the entire year. What is their average daily rate? And also because many have different styles of rooms, they might have the presidential suite and then they have their economy room as well. So we need to take an average of all of those including their occupancy to to have a good measure of how they are producing. Um, With those three things, we can typically calculate their total revenue. Um, We'll also ask for their total revenue um, to be able to run the numbers backwards. And then finally, we're looking for their gross operational profit. So those last two pieces, we should be able to run the math backwards to be able to find. But of course, those are super important for understanding the utility of that hotel.
0: Definitely, definitely. Well, let me jump to my last question here, Josh. If you inherited $500,000 and had to invest it into business or real estate in Costa Rica, what would you do? And I think that you asked the question here is how much you allowed to leverage. If I said you could not leverage anything, you have to use $500,000, what would you do with it?
1: Okay. Um, I, well, first, uh, my mind goes to my heart and my passion projects. And so I would buy... The hotel I have listed right now, it's called Asclepios Wellness and Retreat Center. My wife, Miranda, would thrive as an artist, author, and educator. Miranda's dream is to operate a facility like Jacob's Pillow. This countryside hotel is desirable, boutique feel, and has more amenities than most boutique hotels in the country, um, including an amphitheater. And that is definitely a draw for Miranda. So I would buy, for Miranda, Asclepios. However, if I'm getting back up into my head and running my numbers, um, I think Hotel Louisiana is a really great purchase. It has room to almost double the number of rooms on campus. It is uh, in the heart of Santa Ana. And it uh, this, this is a piece that I think is important to focus on in considering hotels in all of Costa Rica is that consistent occupancy. We don't get those high occupancy numbers, 80 plus, unless you have that consistent occupancy. You can't have 100% occupancy during high season and then 30% occupancy during low season, your numbers just won't add up. So you need a consistent occupancy and you can often find that in a well-operated hotel in the Central Valley. Why? Hotels in the Central Valley are, are uh, producing from Ticos who are coming here for special events, doctor's appointments, business retreats from other parts of the country. And these do not have a season to them. Uh, Costa Rica has beautiful weather all year round. So you have weddings all year round. You have uh, birthday parties all year round. You have um, eh, eh, businesses running retreats all year round here. And so because of the national market share, you have a higher occupancy. Hotel Louisiana has 88% occupancy for the last two years, showing, a, um, showing that with only 47 rooms, and they're planning on building uh, 30 pods and potentially 20 more rooms within the next 18 months, as well as implementing a new restaurant. So there's a huge growth potential in this hotel, um, and that's just going to make its numbers go up more. Yeah, so uh, from a mathematical perspective, I think that this ROI, which is currently hovering for uh, for the seller's uh, negotiable price at nine year ROI, we could probably, with some development, work that down to a five or six year ROI. Definitely, which to me is very attractive.
0: Well, Josh, as my uh, as my my grandmother would say, I'm going to have to love you and leave you, unfortunately. Um, but this has been an amazing podcast. Really appreciate your input on kind of living here, relocating here, and also your valuable input on on owning uh, or buying a hotel here in Costa Rica. For anyone that wants to get in contact with Josh, I'll put all of his contact descriptions, uh, all of his contact details in the description, his email, and also his telephone number. You can reach out to him. Uh, And Josh, it's been an absolute pleasure, sir. Thanks for having you on the show.
1: Thanks a lot, Richard. Been a pleasure.
0: A very, very good podcast there with Josh, guys. I think as you can see, he is a wealth of knowledge and loves to educate. So this is going to be Uh, You know, this is going to be a great podcast for anyone that's looking to make an investment in any form of, I would say, you know, commercial or rental um, or hotel business here in Costa Rica, which there are quite a few. Um, I think the things to just bear in mind is just the cost um, of. I think we saw in the previous podcast when speaking to Manny Mikowski, just the hidden costs or the costs that like come as a surprise to anyone running a hotel here in Costa Rica or even a luxury vacation rental. Uh, just because sometimes the two do act very similar. Um, you know, I'm a I'm a fan of the luxury vacation rental with hotel amenities, just because it's less moving parts and less payroll Um, but also you know there's a there's a case for a hotel as well you just need to be careful with the number of rooms and also the average daily rates there just to make sure that it's sufficient to be able to cover the cost there and also make yourself a profit as well There's nothing worse than of course working yourself to death for no money. So, But anyway, um, I hope you've enjoyed that podcast, guys. Remember to give us a thumbs up, give us a like, uh, some feedback. If you'd like to see any particular guests on the future podcast or you have any questions, uh, just let us know. Remember, we're here to help with anything here in Costa Rica. We've recently just did a due diligence on a a project out at the beach for a client of ours. We're also building some homes here or kind of project managing some homes here in Costa Rica and also helping people make the right investment for them here in Costa Rica. Understand their exit plan um, but also really understanding what it is that they need for the they need their needs are for the property as well whether that be more lifestyle than investment or more investment than lifestyle but anyway um, until the next podcast guys uh, it's been a pleasure thanks very much for listening uh, and we'll speak to you soon